It is so good to be back today. It's so weird after being gone just one Sunday. Uh, but uh, thank you, all 10 of you. It's so good to see you, too. Uh, but uh, uh, we were in Quebec City uh, last weekend and in Montreal for the National Conference of the Wesleyan Church. Uh, the, the Wesleyan Church is growing in Canada and uh, across our nation, and we have a great dream for reaching people uh, from sea to sea. And uh, we had our very first national conference of Wesleyan churches uh, in Montreal uh, last week, and it was a great honor to be part of that experience for the very, very first time in history. And, uh, and so I just wonder if you could join me with that fresh on our hearts this morning and uh, that new launch here in Canada in joining in praying for our nation. Could we do that together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the great history of what you have done here in the Maritimes. And even as we go further west and we see the works that you have done in our partner churches in Ontario and, but Lord, there are so many cities so many people across this great land where a gospel-centered presence is desperately needed to share the love and the hope of Christ with our world. And so, Father, we pray not just for our Wesleyan church brothers and sisters across this nation as we join together and work together in order to reach people, but Father, we pray for churches of every type as wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, wherever your truth is taught, wherever the presence of the Holy Spirit is, Lord, that you would empower and do great and mighty works. Lord, we look forward to great revival in our country. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for what you are doing, and we thank you for greater things that are yet to come. In the name of Jesus, and everybody say, amen. amen. All right, let's get into le question. Est-ce que vous prêts? Here's the question. Are you ready to study God's word today? Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and get John chapter 15, and we have no nothing today. Is that right? Nothing at all for some reason. All righty then. Wait, wait, come on, come on. I tried to be discreet. It wasn't very discreet. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, while, while I've got Mark here, it was really funny uh, that there was an email that came in uh, this week in the church office that said something about Pastor Joel's message last Sunday when Mark was the one who was speaking. <laughs> so just take a close look. This is Mark. This is Joel. Uh, and uh, so hopefully my wife won't come up from behind and hug you thinking <laughs> it's me. <laughs> so I guess we're going to go without the screen today, and I apologize to those who will be uh, helping out a little bit later uh, with that because the screen was going to be really helpful. But nevertheless, today we are in John chapter 15. So before I said, get your Bible open, now I'm really serious about it, okay? Because <laughs> we had a lot of scriptures that were going to be on the screen today that, uh, that it'll be really helpful if you look that up for yourself. Now, all summer long, we've been talking about U-turns, U-turns that we all 
have situations in our lives where we need something to be turned around. And all of us have hurts and hang-ups and mistakes that we have made, and only Jesus can bring the change that we truly need. And we've seen it happen again and again, people who are lost and hurting and struggling and addicted and hopeless. And when people give their lives to Jesus, his love changes everything. And all around this room, I can see people who that is your story. How many of you are thankful that God came in and changed your life? Yes? Amen. And we also know that there are so many people in our city who have not experienced that. There's so much hurt and pain and addiction and crisis. And you know that we are doing what we can to help. And so today, we are going to hear of a helpless situation turned into a hope-filled solution. A helpless situation turned into a hope-filled solution. But I need to give you a caution. For the next 10 minutes, you are going to hear some disturbing things. You're going to hear of some of the evil that is being done in our city. You're going to hear of sexual exploitation. Sometimes we don't realize the desperation and the depth of the need here in our city. But you're also going to hear how people can be set free. And so I just want to give you this caution that for the next 10 minutes, if you have children with you in the service that are old enough to understand, if they're in kids' world, it's okay, but right here in the room right now, or maybe even you're watching online, and, uh, or maybe you have trauma from your past that might come up here, I just want to give you this advance caution. It is okay if you need to get up and take a little walk and stretch your legs or go to the washroom for 10 minutes and then come back. And we're going to get into John chapter 15 and the hope of Christ. Are we ready? Steve, welcome, my brother. Thank you. Good morning, family. Uh, my name's Steve Druin. For those of you who don't know, uh, I've been attending this church for a little over 30 years, have been involved in a number of the ministries of this church over that period of time. Our kids grew up in this church. Uh, today I'm married to who I think is the most wonderful woman in the world. Uh, my family continually reminds me of that. I think they say she's so much better than you. Um, but, but they're right. They're right. Um, but to get a little more serious for a second, uh, I want to tell you a story, begin this 10 minutes with a story about a girl who we're going to call Amy. Uh, the names have been changed for obvious reasons, but Amy was attending school and achieving good grades a number of years ago. Uh, Amy, though, was a shy girl, didn't have many friends, and was often seen in the schoolyard by herself, in the cafeteria by herself, or shopping by herself. A young man named Jason noticed that. It was Jason's job to notice that, because Jason worked for a gang whose job it was to recruit girls into the sex industry, into prostitution. So as part of Jason's function, he was to treat Amy with all kinds of attention and gifts, the kind of attention and gifts that she'd never experienced in her entire life. 
the natural thing happened. Amy fell in love with Jason. Jason made her think that he was in love with her. At this point, he had her. Talk of a wonderful future together, living together in happiness and uh, wedded bliss forever and ever, soon changed to how are we going to pay the bills? We have bills we have to pay. We don't have the money to do so. Jason said something like, I can sell drugs. What can you sell? He persuaded her to sell herself. She agreed reluctantly. It was one time. At that point, he had her. Through the coercion of threats, the use of drugs, threats to her family and friends, threatened to tell her family about what she was doing, he kept her in the industry. That's how it works. At this point, I want to introduce you to Community of Hope. Community of Hope is a faith-based, not-for-profit established to help children who are trapped in this form of slavery. Today, we're going to talk about human trafficking, how it works, and give you some tools to help you recognize it and consider some ways that you can help. Human trafficking is the exploitation of people through the use of force, deception, threats, assault, and emotional manipulation. The exploitive nature of human trafficking has caused the RCMP and other law enforcement agencies to refer to it as modern-day slavery. It's true, slavery is alive and well in North America today. A couple of things about the law around prostitution. It's changed, it's, it's been in flux for the last 15 years or so. At one time, the prostitutes were seen as the criminals. Today, they're seen more as victims, and the prosecution takes place against the Johns, the people who buy sex, and the traffickers, the people who sell it. In one recent case, or actually the first prosecution under the new laws, which took place in 2007, in that case, the pimp was established to have made over $400,000 by trafficking one girl for a year and a half. There are three stages of exploitation when a person is trafficked. The recruitment, isolation, and the trafficking. Recruitment takes place in one of four ways. There's a guerrilla technique, which most of us might be familiar with because we watch television or movies. The movie Taken was a good illustration of that. It's easily uh, the most violent form of, of recruitment. The person is literally stolen, taken away, sold for sex, and never to be sold, seen again. We're going to spend a little more time on the other, on the other forms of, of recruitment. The first is the trusted adult. Strangely enough, and as difficult as it may be to believe that people are often lured into this industry by a parent or the parent of a boyfriend or a girlfriend. A recent story in the Halifax Chronicle Herald told the story of Haley and how she was recruited into the industry by her boyfriend's mother. Let me read a quote from that paper. The boy found a way to stay in touch and invited Haley home to meet his mother. Haley, who considered him her boyfriend, said in a recent interview that the mother mes messaged her one day and asked if she wanted to make some money. Haley ignored her for weeks and then found herself desperate for cash, having run away from her most recent group home. She was nervous but let the woman set up one client for her, thinking it was an experiment. Suddenly it was happening all the time, Haley said. She, the boyfriend's mother, said, it's either you keep working or else you get out of my house. Haley had nowhere else to go. The boyfriend technique is probably the most common form, and we've just talked about that in the, in the story about Amy and Jason. From the pimp's perspective, yes, there, and there is a pimp's perspective, as sad as it is, there's an operation manual for pimps. And I'm going to read a quote from that manual. 
You'll start to dress her. This is going to be difficult to hear. You'll start to dress her, think for her, own her. If you and your victim are sexually active, slow it down. After sex, take her shopping for one item. Hair and or nails is fine. She'll develop a feeling of accomplishment. The shopping after a month will be replaced with cash. The lovemaking turns into raw sex. She'll start to crave the intimacy and will be willing to do anything to get back into your good graces. After you have broken her spirit, she has no sense of self-value. Now pimp. Put a price tag on the item you've manufactured and sell it. The final form of recruiting is peer recruiting. It's very similar to the boyfriend technique, except it's a friend who's establishing a relationship, talking about the industry, if we can call it that. The interesting thing about that is that the person doing the recruiting is probably already working for a pimp and is trying to increase his uh, victims, the number of his victims. Now, there's no question that the internet uh, can do some good and can be used for good. Many people watching this service this morning are watching it at home because of the internet or they're away on vacation watching it because of the internet. Medical diagnoses and treatments can be undertaken over the internet. You can literally buy anything over the internet. Tragically, that anything includes sex with children. The internet is also used as a recruiting tool. Recruiters will use their social media sites to establish relationships with potential victims and lure them into the industry as well. There are only four ways out. Risk escape, be rescued, be discarded, or be killed. The final stage of exploitation is the actual trafficking. At this point, the victim is under the full control of the trafficker and is fully engaged in the sex industry. Traffickers post ads and arrange meetings with strange men for the girls and for the boys. They're forced to have sex with strangers many times every night. So who does this happen to? The real question on our minds this morning might be, could it happen to us? Could it happen to our children? Could it happen to our grandchildren? I've asked myself that question a number of times in the last two years. The average age of recruitment in Canada is 14 years. Local law enforcement reports that most common age recruitment they see in the Maritimes is 13 years. Young girls are the ones targeted. I don't mean to convey that girls are the only victims because boys are as well. It's important to know that anyone can be targeted, no matter their age, their gender, sexual orientation. Where is it happening? It's very difficult to know with certainty what the numbers are. It is happening in the, in the Maritimes, but it happens under the cloak of darkness and in the shadows. Victims are being moved so often that it's hard to keep track of them. We don't know where they are at any given moment in time. An interview published in the Chronicle Herald in Halifax a couple of years ago told a story of a young girl who was being trafficked and said in the nine months that she was being pimped out in Halifax, she came across at least 100 underage girls being sold for, sold for sex. The youngest victim she came across was 13 years old. We know it's happening in Moncton. The RCMP has confirmed this. Why is it happening? In a word, money. It's a question of supply and demand, basic economic theory or principle. The principle that if people are willing to buy something, someone out there is going to be willing to supply it. Two, since there's a high demand for sex buyers to buy sex from youth and young women, trafficking is extremely lucrative. 
On average, a trafficker will make $250,000 a year with one victim. Why is it happening? Uh, pornography and a lack of respect for human dignity have something to do with that as well. First, pornography exposes people to sex on a regular basis. It desensitizes them. It makes sex with young people almost seem normal if you watch it enough. The desensitization works. Second, nearly half of all sex trafficking victims report that pornography was made of them while they were being trafficked. So anyone watching pornography has no way of knowing if they're looking at a victim uh, who's on the screen. So how can we recognize the signs? The problem can be overwhelming, but there are ways we can notice. And the, th thing, the important thing to notice or remember about this is that it, has to, it should reflect a change in the person. For example, if, if someone is being showered with gifts and attention all of a sudden, a young girl, that's a change that might be being done by a pimp. If there's a change in the clothing that she wears, the way she talks, if she has a controlling boyfriend that no one gets to meet, she's becoming late uh, to meetings, to school, uh, to appointments, she's not meeting her friends when she's supposed to. She starts speaking differently. She may carry a large bag, um, and the large bag often constitutes her entire world. Every earthly possession she has is in that bag. She can also seem fearful, depressed, anxious. There are signs of physical abuse, like a cut lip or a black eye for which there's no plausible explanation. There's substance abuse. She may have a new tattoo on the back of her neck. Every pimp has a mark, like branding cattle, as strange as it is to say. She won't have her own money. She often has no ID. She's, the pimp has taken away her driver's license. These kinds of things are signs that somebody might be being groomed or victimized by human trafficking. What can we do? Well, there's a number of things we can do, but first I'd like to talk about what Community of Hope has been doing. I want to mention as well that on the first slide, you might have noticed a small circle at the bottom right-hand uh, part of the screen had the letters H-E-Y there. That's Hay. Hay is helping exploited youth. They're an organization in Halifax that is helping Community of Hope and have been instrumental in developing what we're doing and the programs we're undertaking. And I just wanted to thank them for it. But Community of Hope is building other relationships as well. We've established relationship with Crossroads for Women with uh, an organization called Trey in Nova Scotia that lo offers long-term housing and counseling for women who are trying to get out of the sex industry. We've established uh, a relationship with YouthQuest and with the drop-in center for sex workers here in Moncton so we can have volunteers there just to be on site, to be attentive to and to listen for the signs that somebody might want to try and get out. We also have volunteers going to Angie's or whatever that I forget the name of it now, is the establishment in Dieppe, just to bring gifts to the girls, let them know somebody cares about them, and who knows what might come from that. One of the things that you can do is educate others. You're hearing this today. You may be shocked by it. You may be hearing this for the first time. Think of somebody you know who you can share this story with. The more this story gets out, the more light we shed on this issue, the less likely it is to happen. You might have a coworker, a friend, a family member you can talk to. Talk about this. Every time you get a chance, talk about it, please, no matter how distasteful. 
Connect with youth. Every young person and teenager needs a responsible adult in their life. Not everyone has one. If you know someone like that, maybe you can be that responsible adult. Pray. Pray for the teens who are being victimized. Pray for community of hope. We have a lot of work to do. As difficult as this may be, pray for the traffickers. God loves them too. They're on the wrong path. With the right, with the right influence, they might end up on the right path. God can do miracles even with the traffickers. The bottom line is you don't have to do everything, but you can do something. And of course, uh, Steve, when you look out at people in the room, you uh, obviously the first thought you have is people here are equipped to deal with problems, uh, but I am especially equipped. Like, like I am the man and any problem that comes along, I know that I can handle it on my own. Was that, is that how you took this on? <laughs> I think I said to you the other morning, Purporting to be an expert on something in front of the people who know you best is, is a difficult thing. So. Yeah. And, and God began to stir this in your heart as you were serving here within the he, church. He did, yeah. I, uh, I, I, after I retired uh, from the city of Moncton, I did a number of projects. But uh, after about two years, I discovered I was falling in love with my lazy boy, uh, which is not a healthy thing. And... Uh, uh, approached the church, approached Nathan, and said, I've got 15 or 20 hours a week I need to give to a project. Nathan, I met with Nathan, he gave me uh, three options. And I went home, thought about them, prayed about them, couldn't get this out of my mind. Had no idea how prevalent the issue was, had no idea how bad it was, just couldn't get it out of my mind or off my heart. And uh, that's why we're here this morning. And this is the power of what God can do in your life. When you open your heart and you listen to God's spirit and he can equip you to do more than you ever thought possible. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with gratitude for your love in our lives. And yet we know, Lord, that there are so many here in our city who do not know that love. The world has told them they're worthless. And there seems to be no hope, no way of escape. But God, thank you for those that you are raising up in our city to be that hope, to show the way, to align the resources and create connections that ultimately can lead people literally from slavery to freedom. Father, we thank you that it is for freedom that you have set us free. We pray right now for all of those who are impacted by this and even those in our church right now, if we can think of individuals. We've seen the people out on the streets and maybe even right now, there's someone in our lives who is vulnerable to this. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and wisdom to know how to respond in grace and truth. 
And so we pray your continued anointing on what you're doing through this ministry, community of hope, that you have raised up from within the church and spread out around the community with Steve's leadership and others. And so, Father, we pray your anointing on them in the name of Jesus. And everybody say, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. We appreciate you. There is so much power when someone comes along beside you and brings help and hope to a helpless and hopeless situation. And in John, if we could go ahead and put this on the screen, because again, I don't have... Uh, I don't have some of this in my notes. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 11 through 15, Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, but that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. But I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have shared with you. And if you go back to the verse 12 and 13, right in the middle of that, you find the meat of the message there in that passage, verse 12 and 13, where Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, but that he give up his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me and for everyone. If we have any baseball fans here in the house, uh, you know the story of Jackie Robinson. Uh, Jackie Robinson was the first baseball player to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Back in 1947 and 48, as he began his professional career with the Brooklyn Dodgers, which are now in Los Angeles, but then they were in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and uh, Every city that they would go to, people would jeer and taunt. The racism, the prejudice was horrible. And one time in one of the games, he made an error while playing second base. And all of a sudden, as the crowd began to boo, it got louder and louder, and that crowd dynamic became more angry, and they began to cheer and taunt and boo and scream. And literally, the game came to a standstill. They could not go on because of the anger of the fans. And there the players stand on the field, not sure what to do. But then an amazing thing happened when the shortstop named Pee Wee Reese left his position and walked over to Jackie Robinson. And he stood beside him and he put his arm around him. And together 
They stood shoulder to shoulder against the crowd. And Jackie Robinson said that up until that point, he did not know if he could take it anymore. But in that one little man, Pee Wee Reese, he had a friend who would stand with him and stand up for him. And here is the truth, listen, as much as I want to be your friend and as much as other people here want to be your friend and as much as we want to be the friends of people here in our city who are lost and hurting and broken and addicted, listen, what we need to understand is when it comes to the root of the problem, I cannot solve your problems. You cannot solve the root of other people's problems. The mayor and the city council and all the charities in the world cannot fix people's problems. Now we can help, but we cannot solve the root of the problem. Things will not change until we realize that only Jesus can deal with the deep down issues in a person's heart. You see, according to the Bible, there are two things that everybody needs to know. These are two things that are the most important things to know. Are you ready? I need to know, number one, that God loved me before I even knew he existed. In fact, I just want you to hear how that sounds coming out of your lips. Just let that roll around in your mouth and get into your heart. Would you say that out loud with me? Everybody say together, God loved me before I even knew he existed. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, God doesn't say, first get your act cleaned up, first get your life straightened out, first get all of your problems taken care of, and then you can come and see me. No, God says, come to me just as you are, and together, together, we can turn your life around, and that is why Jesus died on the cross for us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us have fallen short. All of us have broken God's perfect law. All of us are deserving of death because the wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And folks, that's what all this is about. That's why we do what we do. That is Christianity in a nutshell. It's the Father looking down from heaven and seeing the mess that we have made of our lives. And seeing the, the mess of this, the, this world that he has created and given to us and what we have done to it. And he sent Jesus to be our savior, to die on the cross as the perfect sacrifice to take the punishment for our sins. And he rose again so that with him we can have new life. But there's something that we have to do 
To receive Jesus, I must open the door and invite him into my life. And see, this is where so many people stop short. Many people know about Jesus and maybe even know a little bit about the Bible and maybe even go to church a little, but never actually come to that moment of decision, that, that moment of surrender. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. See, the world says, that in order to sit together at the table, that, that we have to earn it, that we have to live up to its standards, that we have to fit in with a certain group. The world says you have to look a certain way and dress a certain way and have enough money and, and be in the right group. And, and, and in order to fit in, we have to do all these things that cause us to buckle under the pressure, under the weight that the world puts upon us. And so in response, so often we turn to, to drugs and alcohol and substances. We turn to sex and consumerism and entertainment because we're trying to earn it. We're trying to prove ourselves that we fit in and it's never enough. But then all of a sudden, one day, Jesus comes along and Jesus says, no, 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 I want to free you from all of that. And Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And I wonder if it's possible that he has been standing at the door and knocking in your life. Maybe he's been there for a while, calling out your name but you've been afraid, afraid to respond, afraid to leave the ways of the world behind to find this life. But he stands at the door and knocks. And this could be the day that you open the door. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that even for people here in this room today who think they have their lives together, when we hear stories like Steve told us today, we think that is so far removed from our personal situation. And yet it's right here in our city. And the fact is, there is not as much difference between us and them as we think. For Lord, your word says that all of us are in bondage. All of us are in slavery to this world. To an enemy who has tricked us and held us captive in our fear. 
But Lord, we are reminded today that Jesus has provided the way of freedom. And so, Lord, today, for those who are ready to make a U-turn, to repent and surrender to you, all around this room, if that's you, and you, you can hardly stand it for another moment because you can feel him knocking at the door in your life. Just right now in your heart, would you say, Father, I open the door. Jesus, come in. And let's begin this relationship. As I confess my sin, I confess my selfishness, I confess my fears and my doubts, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven. And so I surrender to you. Take control. Have your way. And Lord, now I pray for anyone who has made that decision right now. Lord, that you would give them courage to step forward. At the end of this service, to come down and meet with one of our prayer team members and begin that journey, to get connected, to begin to grow in their faith this fall in one of our growth classes, to be able to build that foundation. Lord, we pray that you would not allow anyone to just make a decision today and then walk off and forget about it and not do what it takes to make next steps in their relationship with you. And so, Father, we pray that you would wrap your arms of love around everyone in this room as you remind us of how much you love us in the name of Jesus. Listen to the words of this song. Who am I that I could be a child of the King?